Welcome everyone. This is the I'm Speaking Podcast, hosted by Mercy Hernandez and Priya Namard. Our goal is to uplift voices everywhere by empowering women and youth and by building a better global community. The I'm Speaking Podcast is inspired by the Edge Charitable Foundation. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the hosts and do not reflect that of the benefactors or sponsors. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is the I'm Speaking Podcast. I'm Priya. And I'm Mercy. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. And today's topic is human trafficking. What is human trafficking? Human trafficking is a trade of humans for forced labor, sexual slavery, or commercial sexual exploitation, and much more. And it's the third largest crime ring around the world behind drugs and guns. So as you all know, Mercy and I um, have been working through the edge to help children in South Florida and all over the world in different countries over the years. And one of the big groups that we have, we have been working with have been children who have been human trafficked and organizations that work directly with them. So we've partnered with organizations to work with children that have been found, who have been working in the in the back of a restaurant and kitchens, police are picking up that have been reported that are in sexual slavery, all these different horrible situations that these children have been involved in. And we are um, so grateful that we can provide some comfort and help to these children. But this really hits home for us. It does. According to the International Labor Organization, over $150 billion are made every year from organized human trafficking. And 21 million people, mostly women and children, are involved in this crime ring. And unfortunately, most of these people are from, are from specific and marginalized ethnic groups around the world. And it could be anywhere from children in um, South America, the Caribbean islands, from countries in Africa, from countries in Europe. Human trafficking touches every part of the world, even right here in the United States where it runs rampant. I can tell you if, if you give me a minute, I'm going to uh, share a little bit about what we experienced. So back in 2008, about a year after we started, um, and for the sake of the safety and respect to the people that we'll be talking about, the children that we're going to be speaking about, we won't state where we met them or where we were when we were reaching out to them and helping them. However, back in 2008, um, we had the privilege and the honor of serving children in a specific center where, unknown to us, they were victims of human trafficking. We thought they were just victims of circumstances, of poverty, of uh, they were, you know, we had already dealt with and served children that were victims of domestic violence of uh, sexual abuse, which were horrific on their own. But these children that we were serving, we thought were just displaced here in the United States, in South Florida. And so when we went, we took them, um, we did a whole program for them. So we had an education component to it. We had a day of service where the girls had spa time and the boys played soccer. 
so we were just keeping them busy and bringing them items and from snacks to supplies to um, materials and we were just serving that's the bottom line so as conversations went on and we were able to meet these children on a one-on-one -on -one, we realized how horrific the reason they were there was and so to be specific i had this one girl that i spoke to and i remember priya being right by me but the girl was speaking in spanish she was from central america she must have been 15 tops 15 years old and she told me personally her story which i really wasn't asking i just kind of wanted to ask her what she needed and and what she how we could better serve her and then she explained well i really don't have anything because what happened to me wasn't, she started her story. So what happened to this girl was her parents had all of their life savings. They had worked really, really hard to have money to send her to live with her uncle, her mom's brother, to the United States. And in the United States, he was going to help her go to school, better herself, and then bring her parents to join her um, here in the States. And so, she had a bad feeling about it the whole time. She never wanted to leave. She was afraid. She didn't want to change. She was just scared in general. And rightly so. She was. She must have been 13 or close to 14 when this was going on. So the parents tell her, this is what you have to do. This is your destiny. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to get on this bus. We're going to take you today. We're paying for everything. And when you arrive, your uncle will be expecting you. So she leaves. Little did she know that when her bus was leaving, a bus that was bringing her uncle back to their country was arriving. So now this young girl was heading to the United States, but her uncle was no longer there. He actually had been sent back to the country. She doesn't know this, so she just leaves. So her story goes on and on about how horrific the experience was. She was watching young girls that were also on that bus constantly being raped by other men, by men that were in charge of this, this whole trip. Um, they called them coyotes. So she, they were being raped by the coyotes. And several times, one of the drunk coyotes wanted to rape her. And I, this girl was beautiful. Um, so this one coyote specifically wanted to rape her. But there was a guy, a young guy about her age, who she had never met, who stepped up to to the guy and said, that's my girlfriend, leave her alone. That's my girlfriend. So they became friends out of fear and they were always together. And every time one of them would approach her, the boy would fight them. And so time like went on and on. He would physically fight them. He would physically fight them and he would verbally fight them and he would let everybody know and stand you know, his ground that that was his girl. And so she goes on and on and tells me, you know, do you see all these girls here? Most of them went through this. That's why there's some girls that are 12 and 13 year olds that are pregnant. They're pregnant from these coyotes. And there's girls here, young girls, that have babies and they're disconnected to the baby. The baby's just there and it's just another victim of this whole scam. Um, so as she goes on to tell me her story, she explains that she ended up in a house full of other girls and they were in a basement and they would bring food and they had all, there was a window, but it was locked. Um, and they would drop off food for them. And little by little, every once in a while, girls would just leave. So she didn't know where they were going. She didn't know what was happening, but she knew it was all wrong. 
every once in a while, the man of that house, who was a married man, he had a wife and kids upstairs, they were oblivious to what was happening downstairs, he would take them one at a time, rape them, and then bring them back and leave them in that basement. So not only was her whole experience so wait, traveling the, the, to get the, here. The mm-hmm. wife didn't know there was anybody downstairs? According to the girl, she doesn't think the wife or other children that lived upstairs that seemed like they were his kids were aware that they existed downstairs. Wow. And they were told, you speak, you yell, you do anything and we'll kill you. I'll kill you, he would say. And she was already, they were all terrified. They were already in shock from everything they had experienced. So I asked her, I go, were there only girls or was your friend who had helped you so much during the, the trip there? And she said, oh, no. In one of the fights, he was killed. <gasps> wow. It was horrible. It was horrible. Um, I, I had no words for her. I was just looking at her like, I am so sorry you've lived through all to, of this. She wants, wanted someone. She wanted to tell her story, and she wanted somebody right. to hear her. And she had to be heard, yes. Wow. So I asked her, have you contacted your parents? Um, how did you get out of that house? And so she she explained that the as far as her parents, um, the government had been able to reach out to them. Many of the children that were there with her had no clue where they were coming from because they had been picked up maybe walking to the market and then they had no idea what happened. And they brought them into a van and took them to that bus that left their city. Yeah. Uh, so many of them were so young because they were either from the ages of eight to 12. She happened to be older because they paid for her to be on there, on that bus. But the girls and the boys that they were getting were really young. So most of them didn't even know the city or the country they lived in, which was making it so much harder for the parents to be contacted to be returned. And this is so common with children who who are in the human trafficking ring. It's horrible. That is, that that one story is and i'm sure there are so many other young girls there obviously if she was speaking spanish to you i didn't hear any of the story i you know, full disclosure i don't speak spanish but um i'm sure other girls there went through similar situations um and i know rape is a big part of human trafficking right right and it so is mental abuse and physical yeah. abuse and and all those horrible things and so going back to the house she was at mm-hmm. um so she heard a huge fight like it was a loud uh, physical fight and things were just flying everywhere upstairs in the house into what she was assuming was um, the wife and the husband were fighting. Mm-hmm. So she managed somehow, nobody helped her of the other girls over there because they were terrified. Yeah. So she on her own opened that window and crawled through a small space of the window and ran hysterically to a neighbor and explained everything that was happening to a neighbor. Oh my God. I believe she said they were in Texas when this happened, but when they originally arrived, they had arrived in California. So those kids were trafficked into California. Then they were sent to Texas uh-huh. and uh, that's where she escaped the house. So they went to the, she went to the neighbor's house and explained everything. She had blood, she said on her from the window. And the neighbor just wrapped her up like with a blanket, brought her in, locked the door. They called the police and she said just all these officers showed up with guns and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, She said it looked like the military in her country. 
which leads me to believe it was a bigger task, a uh, police task, probably SWAT or something to that effect, as opposed to just local officers coming in. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, yes, um, they took the man, according to her, and all the girls were taken to different places. And that's how she ended up in South Florida, because Texas had no space for her. Yeah. So they flew her over to a center in South Florida, which is where we met her, until they would locate her family and send her back. What a horrible story. So, yeah. And meanwhile, there, she was um, with the public school system. So she was learning English. She was learning all kinds of things. Uh -huh. But the minute that the funding was hurting where she was at, she knew they would send her elsewhere because they were bouncing these children from place to place. Uh -huh. So when I was asking her, what do you need from us? What can I bring you? She asked me, can you bring me a small backpack with a stuffed animal and a blanket? That's all I want because whatever you bring is all I'll have to take with me anywhere I go, which is when uh, Priya and I and, and all of our board of directors at the time sat down and created the Purple Bag Project, yeah. which at the time included a purple bag with, it had baby wipes, a brush, a toothbrush, toothpaste, a journal, pens, coloring books, crayons, a blanket. And so that's how our purple bag project uh, was born, was developed. And in doing so, I recall that uh, the holiday giveaway that we did, yeah. back then it was a Christmas giveaway because the majority of these children, I think that 98% were Hispanic. Yeah. Um, from South and Central America. We did have an Asian and an Indian boy, uh, but the majority were all Hispanic. And so we decided to celebrate Christmas. Mm -hmm. And on Christmas Day, we went with cookies and milk and um, gifts. And they sat them in one room together. So in this particular center that we were going to, they had them divided, uh, boys and girls, and there was no interaction. And so you could see there was a big lack. There were boys that wanted to talk to the girls and girls that wanted to talk to the boys, but and it, was it just wasn't eight, happening. It was from really little was, to eight right. years old, yeah. Of course, they had from infants that were babies of the girls that had been raped uh -huh. all the way to teenagers. So they left there when they were actually 18. Uh -huh. So up to 17, they were there. And so we decided to have, I recall, I, I went there with my three girls that day and we, we had one long table and we did a spread of all the toys. And then we would have one girl come up and one boy come up and one girl come up. And this way, everybody, everybody chose the toy that they wanted. Mm -hmm. And it was the first, and we had a hard time keeping their attention or having them focus on the toys or the gifts because they were focused at the fact that they were all in one room at the same time, the boys and the girls. <laughs> so, you know, it was a big fight. So... <laughs> They were coming in and it took my oldest one, Raquel, to bring to my attention, mom, look at what's happening because I was so focused on organizing the toys and making sure we had enough on the table. So when they walked up, they would have choices that I wasn't realizing what they were doing with the toys as they went up. And so what they were doing, the boys, every time a boy came up, he was picking a toy to take to the infants and to the toddlers. And they were keeping nothing for themselves. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So we had basketballs and, and footballs and soccer balls and um, games and different things that were 
directive for the boys for, so that everybody would have something to their, of their interest. And they weren't looking at that. They were, they were actually looking for the toddler toy or the stuffed animal or, or things that were baby related and they were taking it to the baby. And now the baby had an opportunity to get a toy and the baby's mom was also picking for the babies. So we realized that these kids were acting as adults. They had no self-interest. They just wanted to help the younger ones. And there was just so much love and humanity and compassion within them. And they were all strangers to each other. Well, they, they knew nobody. They were, they went through adult situations. They're, they were forced to become young adults um, yes. because of what they were experiencing. And I do have to say that these, um, these centers, like the one that you're talking about right now, there's so many of them around the country <clears throat> that house children that are found. Um, and these centers are in anonymous, they're, first of all, they're anonymous. Uh, they're in anonymous locations. And they're, it's, it's treated as so because of the crime bosses. Right. And for their own safety. And that's own why safety. they move them around. And their ability to find these locations and raid the locations to get back their property because these children are, are treated as property. Um, that's how organized. To, right, you're right. Or to quiet them. That was the biggest fear that they would come and kill them to quiet them from from giving details on who they were. Exactly, exactly. And we and as as an organization, we couldn't even market. Um, we couldn't market what we were doing. We couldn't take pictures. Mm -hmm. We couldn't. Um, share specific stories uh, with names and details. Like we couldn't do those things because we had to protect those kids. And we were really truly as a nonprofit, we were there to provide the service and to provide education and comfort to those kids. So um, it wasn't about putting it out there um, on, the, on a PR wire for more people to know about it. It was more about them. And in retrospect, it, it hurt our, our efforts of funding and of uh, co collecting funds in general, funding, yes, uh, that we couldn't say what we were doing and that we couldn't disclose how we were using the funding. Yeah. And so, you know, we did have a lot of, a lot of um, very kind people and donors that really knew us and knew our hearts and just blindly uh, helped us and supported us. Mm -hmm. But for us to go to the bigger ones um, to, you know, bigger sponsors and donors and, and angel granters and things of that sort uh, was really hard for us. It was very challenging for us because we couldn't prove uh, with pictures. And um, a lot of these agencies didn't even allow you to go in. It had been through a lot of persistence that we had been able to convince somebody that we would very quietly and with no um, intention of, of publicizing it, would go in just to serve the children. And we yeah, and took a, that seriously. And a lot of paperwork. So I remember, and I, I think I still have the stack of paperwork in a green folder Jeez, of, of everything we had to fill out. And I think we had to fill it out every month. And mm -hmm. the only way we were able to collect numbers for possible funding was to have it, numbers. <laughs> was to have yes. the kids fill out surveys. And the surveys were very simple. Happy face, sad yes. face. Um, sure. Because a lot of them they didn't, didn't, know, read. They didn't know how to read or write or couldn't write English. Um, 
and it, it, we couldn't collect that information in, you know, in written form and numbers and words. So they had to just circle happy face or a sad face. How do you feel right. about this? How do you feel about that? Right. Um, and that was the way we collected information. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it was, we, we could not disclose anything um, to anyone. Um, and we ourselves had to get um, certifications, specific uh, certifications mm -hmm. to the Department of Education. And fingerprinted. Fingerprinted. Yeah, there's a lot of background checks. Mm -hmm. So these kids, as Mercy said, went through a lot. And human trafficking is a real thing. It's a very bad thing. And um, I don't know if it's something that can be solved <laughs> because it's so rampant around the world and so dubious. There's so much, there's so many people involved in human trafficking and there's so much money made from it, sort of like drugs right. and guns, you know? Right. Um, so whether or not it'll end, we don't, we don't know. Don't know that. Well, so at least not maybe in our lifetime, but the hope is that with awareness mm -hmm. and talking about it, which can be so uncomfortable for so many to talk about it and to hear it, uh, that we really realize that this is happening, that we're not oblivious to it, and yeah. that we don't just live in our happy little bubble and not understand that there are others out there and what they're going through and what we can do to help. And so uh, we just have to be mindful and vigilant when we when we experience things. Mm -hmm. I wanna give you another quick example. One of the agencies that we worked with that was directly connected to the local police department. Um, at one point, I recall going to lunch to a Mexican restaurant, delicious, went to this Mexican restaurant with one of the, one of the employees of the agency. And she told me, she goes, this place is open, but I'll tell you what, I had a big issue here a couple of months ago. So I told her, really, is it about the food? Because it's really good. And she said, no. She said, I came here one day and I noticed that in the kitchen, there was a girl. She, the girl could not have been any older than seven years old. And she, they had her making tortillas in the back. Yeah. And she goes, hmm, okay. So she made it a point to go the next day. And she saw the little girl in the back doing something. Couldn't tell what she was doing, but she was working. Again, seven-year-old who should have been in school. So she let a day go by and she went the on and on. And so she realized what was happening. So she contacted, I believe it was her local police department and the DEA who work in collaboration in that area of South Florida. And sure enough, they raided the restaurant and the little girl was one of many that they had in a trailer that they were keeping. They had smuggled them in from Central America and they were using them as free labor. So these girls had gone through so much. And in during that time that she was telling me the whole story, she told me, this is why we're always on the lookout, mm. always be on the lookout, which takes me now to just a couple of days ago, there was a lady on the news, a manager of a restaurant in Orlando, Florida, who was serving a family and noticed that the little boy was not eating. This was just on the yes, news, top of the I news. Saw you saw that, right? I saw that. She, yeah. he, he wasn't eating and he was timid and skinny and like just his body language was just scared. And she just had a feeling. Mm -hmm. And so she snuck a little note where the parents didn't see it. And she said, are you okay? Do you need help? And he nodded at her like, yes, any help. 
and she called the police. The police came in and sure enough, they immediately arrested the father and the mother and they found all, they filed all these charges of uh, physical abuse to these children and mental abuse and all the terrible things that come yeah, along they, with it. He had bruises all over his skin. All over. And it was he, was horrible. Not, he was not eating. So as punishment, mm -hmm. they brought him to the restaurant according to this report. watch them eat mm -hmm. yeah to watch them eat and the other child was eating and uh they found that he was 20 pounds underweight i remember that's so what i was reading it and i was just so so right. horrified that people could even do that correct and so this takes me to the point that it was this manager this wait she was a waitress at the time but she's also the manager of the small cafeteria where they were at yeah. and those are the little things we can do so that's you know what i want to leave it with that we can always be on the lookout if something doesn't look right don't dismiss it um you know think about it and uh, if you and ever it, wonder and it can happen in your town it doesn't have to be anywhere anywhere, mm -hmm. anywhere. absolutely we have a really affluent uh neighborhood uh north of us from where i live here in south florida and i recall that there was a teacher pre i don't know if you remember but there was a teacher a high school teacher from a local high school uh, that were doing very well. And she was bringing in uh, girls from South America that she was paying for. And they lived, yeah, she lived in a room in the garage and she cleaned their like three-story house, like some mansion they had. And that was her job. And so when she was arrested and she was interviewed, why would you do that? Uh, she said, I brought her to a better country. I was feeding her better food than she ate in her country. So I was giving her an opportunity and they told her, no, that was human trafficking. You're that, that girl is not registered. She's not going to school. She's not part of your family. You have her locked in the garage. Um, all she does for you is cook and clean. And then she goes back locked in the garage. You have a little cot, not even a bedroom, but a little cot for her. This is a slave, a human slave. Yeah. And she said, well, I disagree. Either way she went to jail, but this, these are, Things you can happen in your own backyard. Everybody listening, I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's sad. It's it's terrible. But, but she could have been saying that too, just to cover her butt, because she knew of what course she, was doing. she knew she had to know. Yeah. She had to know, and she had children of the same age. She had teenage children in her home, <sighs> so this was a mother of children of that same age doing this to somebody else's child, to another human being. Um, it's just, you know, and for those that are wondering if our organization is still around and if we're still impacting these children, yes, we are. Our organization is here, you know, 14 years later, still doing this and still going out there during the holiday season to take them the toys and still uh, offering programming and still offering all these things. So if you do want to learn more about our organization at the end of this podcast, I'll tell you a little more about how you can reach out to us. Yeah. So you, you're absolutely right. I mean, the littlest thing, the smallest things matter. <clears throat> so even if it might seem like a very uh, gloomy situation where, you know, uh, this human trafficking ring around the world will not end, um, you can do something as these people did and and that is looking out for little signs here and there so i mean obviously you're going to a restaurant you want to enjoy yourself but just be aware of what's going on around you maybe there might be a child working in the back maybe something is not right with a family sitting there 
if you're going to a store, um, it doesn't have to be a restaurant, if you're going to a store, if you're meeting people mm -hmm. out, anywhere, out anywhere, um, mm -hmm. you, a lot of these children are human trafficked. And just look for the signs too, because unfortunately- And or abused. They could abuse. just be abused by their own parents. Yeah, so uh, you might think that your neighbor is like the most amazing person because of what they show you, but you never know what could be going on behind closed doors. Uh, so just being aware of everything that's going on. And yes, the EDGE <clears throat> has been involved for so many years. And um, I'm so glad we have the opportunity to do this work and help these children in the little way that we can with both education and comfort. Um, and we'll continue to do it because it's important work. And it's our calling, it's our mission. And you know, we've done it from the heart. We've volunteered all these years doing this. You know, we, our children have grown up into this and knowing the, the impact that we can have on others if we just care enough. Thank you so much for tuning in today and for listening to our podcast. Make sure you like, share, follow, subscribe, all that wonderful stuff. And what else, Mercy? And please remember us, remember The Edge Charitable Foundation. You can find us at theedgehelps.com or through any of the social media platforms at theedgehelps.com. Thank you. And you can find us on any social media platform at The Edge Helps. Perfect. So this is the I'm Speaking Podcast with Priya. And Mercy, thank you for your time. Thank you.